Church? I was just thinking the first time I ever preached before our church, the offering song was The Great I Am. And I didn't know at that time if Joel knew that was my favorite song at the time. And so it definitely brought me back. And it was um, sweet to think of that back in the day. But thank you for joining us this morning uh, for the worship of our Lord and Savior. We are, my hope is that um, this morning as we open God's word, that we will be edified and we will, uh, my, really my goal as we look at Galatians 4 is that we would, uh, it'll be a call to us to live as sons, as sons of God and not as slaves. So if you would please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, we'll be in verses 8 through 10. Page 915, if you have one of the Bibles there on um, the rows, see if this stays open. So the call is for you, church, to live as sons of God and not as slaves of God. So the context, obviously, uh, if you've been here with us preaching through Galatians last week, uh, Joel preached 1 through uh, 7. And talking about heirs versus slaves and how we have been brought into God's family, adopted as sons, verse uh, 5 says. And so today we will look at some of the implications as we look at verses 8 through 10. So let's go ahead and read our passage and let's pray and ask God to help us. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You have served days and months and seasons and years. Let me read 11. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, may we this morning, may we actually hear your word as children, as sons. May we actually recognize that we need you for everything, that we are completely dependent on you, that as children who need their father's guidance and their father's help and their strength, Lord, that we would come with that attitude this morning and humbly hear from your word and apply these things, Lord, that we would be able to actually walk faithfully before you. Help us in our weakness. Help me in my weakness. Lord, if this doesn't come from you, Lord, then it will do no good. And so I pray that our eyes would uh, be focused on your word and what you have to say for us and that your spirit would bring these into our hearts. And so we ask for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sense of the passage, right? If if we're just looking at the passage really quickly, uh, what is the passage actually saying? Well, the sense of it is, Church of Galatia and Church of Bloomington, you were once enslaved, you were once lost, and now that you've been brought near by God, why do you want to turn away? Hey, why do you want to turn away? It's really the, 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 past, the wording right there, whose slaves you want to be once more. It's really shocking, so you should think about that. It's whose slaves you want to be once more, and you should recognize that lives in all of our hearts. But one of the points, the biggest points this morning is that your sonship matters. 
The fact that you are a son of God, if you've, been, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, your only Savior, if you've been found in Christ, okay, so this is not true of you if you're not in Christ, but if this is you, if you're in Christ, then your sonship actually matters. It should actually affect and impact how you live. Just think about it. Imagine that you had a house. In a house, you had a son and a slave. Okay, they should not live the same. They don't live the same. There's different expectations based on their position in the family, correct? And you think, well, what are some of those differences? There's plenty. But one key distinction, right, is the basis for their acceptance, why they're accepted into the family. And it's important, too, because as we think about a relationship between a son and a father, every son and father relationship, one thing that is always true is that a son longs for the acceptance of his father. A father's approval is really important to a man. And that's true regardless of any season of life we may find ourselves in. So let's just think this through. As we think of the context, heirs and slaves, sons and slaves, why is the slave accepted by his master? Well, the slave, what, what can the slave do to gain favor before his master? The slave is accepted based on his work, right? Based on what he can do, what he can provide, how he can bring something of use to his master. So if he's a hard worker, if he can produce gains for the master, then he will be accepted, right? He'll be pleasing to his master. The more he does, the more favor he gains. Yet, no matter how much he does, he will never be on the same level as the son. He will never receive the same inheritance. He will never have the same relational closeness that a son could have. No work could ever overcome that. Now, why is a son accepted by a father? A son is accepted by a father based on nothing else but his relationship to his father, his birthright. Really, at the end of the day, the son is accepted because he is his. You are my son. You are my father. And it's that basis that makes a son acceptable to a father. That's why he's loved. The son may work hard for his father, but that's secondary to the real reason why he is accepted. If you're here, right, if you're a father or a mother, if you have children, you know that your love for your children, you, nobody had to teach this to you. This is intrinsic. This comes to you. This is how God has designed the world to work. And you love them because they're your children. They're your children. I think hopefully most of us will remember, but I clearly remember the first time, our first son, Santiago, when, you know, he was, Megan was pregnant, and I was like, well, I, I know there's, I know there's a baby, but it feels like hard to make a connection. The first time that you actually get to hold a baby, the first time that I get to hold my son, and immediately there's just a bond and a connection, just so much love that you have for this little baby who's done absolutely nothing for me. Just the fact that he exists and he is my son is enough. And so even though that is true, every son wants to make his father proud, Right? Every child wants to know that they're accepted, that they want to belong, they want to be known. So that's true in life in our families, but that's also true in our spiritual life. We struggle with that in our spiritual life too, with our Heavenly Father. We, like sons who long acceptance from our Heavenly Father so badly, oftentimes we do silly things, right? We look at, you know, we, imagine a son 
And he wants acceptance from the father so badly that he looks at the slave, and the slave is working so hard. And the father's saying, oh, look at this slave. He is just such a hard worker slave. And you see, well, they're being pleasing to the father by doing all these things. So they conclude, I must be do, I must be able, to, I must do more. In order to gain favor with my father, I must do a lot of works for my father. Do you see how this illustration already plays out in our spiritual life? So you have to answer, what is going to make you acceptable before your Heavenly Father? You need to be accepted before your Heavenly Father. That is the most important thing you can have, to know that you're accepted by your Heavenly Father. And how will you try to gain that acceptance? As a son or as a slave? As a son or a slave? Everyone has to answer this question. And many answer this wrongly. Very easy to go astray. Right? In our text, the Jews, they go astray. Today, they miss Christ. You know, the Jewish people think that they receive God's approval by their abidance to the law. And all of world religions think this to some extent. They have to wrestle with this. They know that God is angry with them. They know that they're sinners. They know that they need to be forgiven. Their conscience speaks out against them. And yet, all of them conclude that in order to gain acceptance, to be forgiven, what they have to do is just be better slaves. Every religion outside of the true Christian faith, faith ultimately enslaves. And that's one of the points that I want you to see this morning. How is that true? Because the solution for every religion, right, how do you make it right before God is you do more. You do the right things. Sounds like you're acting more like a pleasing slave. World religions say my ability to do good enough is going to be the determining factor in whether God will be pleased by me. If I do more, then God will be pleased. If I can do more, I will get more of an inheritance. I can produce more for God. But that's not how a son thinks. The son knows that his basis of his acceptance is not in his work, but in his relationship to his father. And so my hope just this morning is that you'll get four or five points, I haven't yet decided, uh, four or five points just to help you live as sons and not as slaves. So let's look at verse 8 as we begin um, our passage and as we begin thinking about these things. Verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. All right, let's stop there. Is this true of all of us? Before you were brought into God's family, if you have trusted in Christ, you were enslaved. We were all slaves. You were enslaved to sin. You were in Adam, and you could do nothing to please God. You hated God. Maybe you didn't know that fully, but you hated his commands. Maybe you thought you could do enough good things. You could please God by your works. You could maybe sacrifice enough. Maybe you could just be a really kind person. Maybe you could just do good to others, and that would be good enough. Maybe you think, I will sacrifice on myself and not serve myself, and that will help me. You served your idols as if those are the things that could give you life. This is where we all once were, serving ourselves, thinking we could be good enough to be made right before God, that all we had to do was just be really nice and a good person. And maybe this is where you find yourself today. Maybe you're here and you think, God is pleased by me just because I am just a good, generally kind person. 
and God will be pleased by me. And the reason why he will accept me is because I just do good works before others. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. And if that's the case, you're still maybe enslaved by your sin. You're captured by the law and the demands. And ultimately, that will bring you to death. But stick with me, okay? There's hope. If that's you this morning, there's hope, and we'll get to that. But for all of us, help number one. So the first point, how can you live as sons? How can you appreciate and treasure your sonship? Remember who you were before Christ. Do not forget that before God saved you, he actually had to turn you from an enemy into a son. This is a glorious transformation. This is worthy of so much praise, the fact that he could take a sinner like you and make you pleasing before him. This was you. You were an enemy. You were a slave. Let me read you Ephesians 2, and it'll be up on our screen too. So I guess, and if you want to, you can also just turn your Bibles one page. Ephesians 2, this is... Great way to put it, right? One through seven. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what were you by nature? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is who you were. And here's the turning point, right? Verse, verse, verse 4. But, but, but you, right? But you did enough good works. No, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the unmeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing transformation. And if you are a son and you think that you have always been worthy of God's love and acceptance, then you will never treasure your position as a son. You'll be like an entitled child who thinks that everything should be given to them. But there's no room in God's family, in God's church, for entitled children. Because we recognize, right, we recognize how desperately we were, that we were totally depraved before our Father could save us. By the way, this is why churches that only focus on self-esteem and only are focused on making you feel good about how great you are, they will actually fail you in helping you live as sons. Because churches that will not tell you that you are a sinner actually do harm to you in your relationship with God. If you believe that you always are worthy, that you always have been an heir, that you always deserve to be an heir, then your adoption into God's family is going to be meaningful to you. Of course God loves love me. Have you seen me? No, that's not who you were. That's not who you are. This matters greatly. All right, this is who you were, slaves and enemies. On your own strength, you were perishing. Let that humble you. 
And if this is you this morning, if you're still here, don't stay there. There's hope for you. Verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Let's stop there so we can walk through. It is by God's grace that you have come to know God, or rather, Paul clarifies there, to be known by God. And that's important that Paul clarifies that. But before we get too far, I just want to make another side comment and say, remind you, everybody knows there's a God. Everybody knows that there is a God. Romans 1, okay, if you're still thinking to that, Romans 1 makes that pretty evident. We all know that there is a God. We all know that we are sinners before God. And so when you talk to people, talk to them based on what you know it's true from God's word. Don't spend all of your time in evangelism trying to prove to them that God exists. They know. Their conscience knows. They know that they're guilty. So start there. And so, if everybody knows God, okay, everybody knows God, what is Paul trying to say here, okay? Well, there's different ways of knowing God, okay? You can know God from a distance, just as you can know somebody by name only and not actually know who they are. There's different ways to actually know your father. Everyone knows that there is a God, but not everyone knows him as a father, and that's the point, And that's what I want you to know, God, as your father, not just as the God who's out there punishing you. Not everyone knows God as their redeemer. So remember, your knowledge of God does not save you. The demons know that there's a God. They know he's God. They know his power. Your knowledge does not save you. It is God who saves you. And I want you to know him as such. So how can you know God that way? I'm just leaving you with cliffhangers all morning here. We'll answer that question shortly, too. So let's go back. Verse 9. Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, help number two to live as sons is one of the greatest helps you have to walk as children is God's foreknowledge. Okay? Your help number two is God's foreknowledge. F-O-R-E. Knowledge. You got it. What does that mean? Okay, we know that God knows all things. And there's nothing that can be hidden from God. So God's foreknowledge, what it means is God, God is, is his knowing things, events, or, pers- or persons before they happen or before they begin to exist. So does, God doesn't just know everything that's out there right now. He doesn't know all of your thoughts. He also knows everything that is going to come to be. God knows everything, including things that haven't happened yet that are to come. And so in a similar distinction that we made, God knows everyone. He made every single person. But yet he only knows some of them as his children. Now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, does God know you as his child? At the end of your days, right, your basis into why you can live with your father forever ultimately is not going to be whether you know God. It's, does God know you? Think about it in uh, some illustration, right? Think of it as a party. Let's say there's a big party that's being thrown in town. All the big shots are going to be there. And you know the guy is throwing the party. And you're like, oh, yeah, 
I, I went to school with that guy. Yeah, it's still a long time ago. I don't, I don't know if he'll remember me, but surely I can just show up, right, and, and just you know, say that I know the, the, the host. And you show up and you say, oh, I know him. I know all these things about him. And the bouncer at the party will say, you're not on the list. He doesn't know you. Does God know you as his? It is a fearful, it should be a fearful thing for all of us if God were ever to say, I never knew you. So how? How can we know God? How can God know us? What this verse tells us is that we don't come to a knowledge of God on our own. God has to know us first. So you know God because God is the one who actually brings you into his family. If you're here this morning and you've trusted in Christ, God had to do that work first. God is the one who knew you, loved you, and actually brought you in and adopted you. Remember, church, he does this, not you. There's no one ever who has arrived at the knowledge of truth on their own merit or study. There's no one who's done enough research to say, I can now prove that Christianity is true. No, rather, God has to do the work to illuminate their hearts and bring the truth into them. And that, so for them to know him, he knows you before you knew him. Consider the outcome, the other alternative, right? If we could know God on our own, if it was up to us to study and to find God, whose glory, who ultimately gets the credit for our salvation? Partly it would be us. Some of the glory would be due to us because we figured it out. We would deserve some of that credit for figuring it out. But we know that all glory goes to God in our salvation. It is he who accomplishes it. So what does this mean for you? God's foreknowledge means that God knew you before you could do anything for him. Just like my son as a baby could do nothing for me, and he could be loved. Even when you were consciously opposing God, the fact that God knew you should remind you it's, your acceptance is not dependent on your works or merits, right? Look at verse 10. What did the, what did the Galatians turn? They turn to observe days and months and seasons and years. And what says, this is not like we shouldn't actually have calendars, okay? This is not what Paul's talking about. What Paul is saying is that these, the Galatians went from trusting in Christ and they hearing about Christ as the one, the substance, and they forgot Christ and they said, our justification, our acceptance before God will be found in, base, in the basis of whether we can keep these festivals, these rituals, these Sabbaths. That is where our justification is going to come from. That is where we're going to find our righteousness. They relied on works of the law. They thought those things would justify them. And this is why think, religions like Catholicism are false religions. Catholicism preaches a false gospel. How? Again, they would say that they exalt Christ as their Savior, but they also argue that you have to do works to complete your salvation. It's no surprise that most commentators on Galatians always talk about Catholicism because it's, and it's one of the dangers in our day too. Paul's concern here is that anything short of justification by faith alone that recognizes that our works don't add anything to our salvation is a false gospel. So if you rely on anything, anything at all to make you right before God, then you've missed Christ. You don't know God and he doesn't know you. 
Because what were all of those festivals and Sabbaths in the Old Testament? What were they meant to do? They were pointing to Christ, the substance. And so if you miss him and you only hold on to the outside, just having an appearance of godliness, and you don't have Christ, then you've missed it. So when we make our works, even if it's just a small part, the basis for our salvation, we are saying Christ's work is not enough. We detract from it. We exalt ourselves instead of God. And that's a false gospel. So let it not be so for our church. But you should ask, what festivals do you celebrate today? Okay, I'm not asking you if you celebrate Halloween or Christmas. I'm asking you, how are you like the Galatians? You may not celebrate the Jewish festivals, or you might not say, well, you may say, I'm not adhering to the law. But we all have things that we think make us right before God. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe think, like, what gives me comfort at night when you think that God is not pleased with you? And you say, well, I've done this. God must be pleased by me, with me. What is that thing for you? What makes you think that you're doing the right things? And I want to emphasize two things that do not save you, do not make you righteous, but sometimes I think you think they do. Your knowledge doesn't save you. It does not make you acceptable before God. If you know and believe all things and all mysteries, right, you know everything in and out of the Bible, you can tell me all five points of Calvinism. You can tell me all the distinctions between men and women and how God has made the world. If you know all the mysteries in the Bible, all the secrets to parenting and marriage, Church, none of that knowledge can make you more righteous. And secondly, loving others can't make you more righteous. All right, a lot of you, when you're worried about you sinned and you have failed before God and you've failed others and you've let others down, what do you want to do? You want to make it up, right, by trying to love others really, really well and going out of your way by doing things that are just out of the way kind. But when you think about why God should accept you, you should think about all the ways in which maybe you think about, so sorry, when you're thinking about, okay, why should God accept me? You think, surely he will accept me because I've served the church so well, because I've loved others, because I've given of myself, because I've sacrificed to take care of others. But none of that can make you righteous. Now, are these things bad? Of course not. These things are not bad, but don't trust in them. Don't make them the basis for your justification like the Jewish festivals and the observance on months and days and years. If you're still observing these things, you're missing the substance, what it all points down to. What it all points to, sorry. So God's foreknowledge matters. God's foreknowledge matters. It matters too because God knows all of your sins and failures. And that should be a comfort to you as a son and as a daughter. God knows all of your sins, past, present, and future. Have you considered that God was not surprised by Peter's denial? In fact, he was not so not surprised that he actually prophesied it. He told Peter before it was going to happen. And did he tell him this to cast him off for forever? Because he knew that Peter was going to do this? No. He did this as a loving father does to a son. 
He loved Peter. He loved Peter. And so God knows all of those things in your heart. And the fact that he still knows those things and loves you and has redeemed you through Christ, that's incredible. That is incredible. That should give you so much hope and encouragement to live as sons. You really have a merciful father. So you're not accepted based on your sinlessness. God's love and mercy for his children are greater than your sins. And lastly, don't miss the personal aspect to this with the foreknowledge, okay? God's foreknowledge means that he actually chose you. He chose you unconditionally. He chose you. If you're in Christ, he personally and particularly looked at you and said, he is mine. She is mine. And this is really important. God knows all things, not just because he can just see into the future. He doesn't just predict and guess what's going to happen. No, God knows all things because he decrees them to happen. When the Bible talks about God foreknowing you, he doesn't just foreknow, he doesn't just know that one day you would have faith or some people would have faith. No, he actually foreknew you personally and chose you not out of anything you could do let's look at it through some passages they'll be up on the screen first peter one to two it reads peter an apostle of jesus christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in pontus galatia cappadocia asia bithynia according here's the point according to the foreknowledge of god the father okay those who are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of god the father Next passage, Romans 8, 20, 29. For those whom he foreknew, okay, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's foreknowledge is intimately tied to your election and your justification. He doesn't just know you and leave you there. He actually brings you to himself. He calls you his. All right, Ephesians 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And hear this, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Church, hear this. It is your Father's pleasure to save you. Hear of your Father's love for you. These things really do matter. Your theology won't save you, right? But it can't help you treasure your salvation and your sonship that much more dearly. Now, another side. All these things matter a lot to our relationship to our Heavenly Father. But now I'm talking to the fathers of our church. So if you're a father here, listen closely. Do not be slow to show your kids that you're proud of them. Do not be slow to show your kids. Do not withhold your love and acceptance for them. 
you can actually, as a father, help them know the love of their heavenly father. And so if you actually withhold your appreciation for them until they do enough good things, if you only tell them that you're proud, if you only tell them that they did a great when they actually accomplished something, then what you're teaching them is that they're accepted based on their works, not based on your love for them. Fathers, tell your sons that you are proud of them. Tell your sons that you are proud of them. And fathers, tell your daughters that they're beautiful. Is it because they're the best children in the world? No, but it's because they're your children. Just like your heavenly father doesn't love you because you're the best Christian in the world, he loves you because you're his child. So remind your children that you love them because they're your children, because they're yours. And that's the basis of it. There's always going to be someone that's better on the soccer team. There's always going to be someone better that behaves better and listens better and is more polite. But you will always love your children more because they're your children. Tell them that often. If they don't find acceptance at home, they will look for it elsewhere. So I hope that our children rest secure knowing that they belong. So you should be helped as a son. One, because, I forgot my first point. Because you remember where you come from. Because you remember that you were a slave. Second point, you are helped as a son because you remember that God foreknew you and chose you particularly. Now I hope number three, we'll see it in verse nine, second half. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? All right, remember that even today, you are still, you still want to be a slave. And that makes absolutely no sense that our hearts are wicked and you still want to desperately return to Egypt. So you hope number three, if you're going to live as a son, is remembering that you're still weak. You're still weak and you need your father to sustain you. You will all be tempted to neglect what you hear. You will all be tempted to run back to the idols that you had. But recognize your weakness and remember that you are still dependent on your father for everything. That should help you treasure your gift of sonship. So church, you have, this should be ring true for all of us. You have heard, if you've been here for, with us for a while, you've heard God's word preached to you. You've heard Christ proclaimed to you. You've heard to live by faith, to love God. You've tasted God's goodness. Why then do you want to forsake it? My call to you is do not turn back. Do not turn back and live as slaves. The fact that you've been here and hearing these things actually makes you more culpable when you neglect what you've heard. Why would you want to return to your old ways? It's madness. It led to your death. It led to pain and suffering. So don't return to Egypt. Don't return to your idols. Press on to the promised land. Don't take God's blessings for granted. But thank God daily for his mercy to you as a son. 
And it all comes together with help number four. You look to Christ. The answer to all the questions that we were thinking, how can you be acceptable before God? What hope is there for you if you're still a slave? Your hope is to look to Christ. What makes you acceptable before God? Verse 4 tells us, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The only way you can be a son is for God to send his son first, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the, who were under the law so that we might receive adoption Adoption of sons. You're accepted before God by Christ and Christ alone. He was the only son, worthy son. And so if you stand with him by faith, you are accepted by the Father. If you want to be accepted by God, you have to recognize that God is the one who does it for you. The Jews miss it. The Muslims miss it. Jehovah's Witnesses miss it. Catholics miss it. Don't miss it too. Don't miss this too. Everyone claims to serve some God, but how will they be accepted by the true God? It's not your merit, it's Christ. It's all Christ. And so this has practical implications. If you are a son, you should not live as a slave. Your life should actually change. You shouldn't live as, if, as you used to. So let me give you... Three quick practical implications of the gospel in our sonship. One, live as if you're free. Live as if you're actually free. What do I mean? Christ has given you freedom through him, so therefore repent of your sins and don't go back to them. Your sins may seem very tempting and they might still allude, like, allude to you and call to you, but now by the, whole, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit and the strength working in you, you can actually Say no to your sin. You can actually die to yourself, and you can say, I will not return to that anymore. I can actually repent and turn from that completely and say, I will not go back to that again. Do not go back to that. Do not be enslaved one more. Sin enslaves more and more. Anytime you sin, you get enslaved more. But anytime you look at the sun, you're free. Is obeying God a burden to you? Is obeying God a burden to you? Here's a question. Is reading your Bible, is praying a burden to you? If reading, praying, loving others is a burden to you, if you, if you just, even the idea of loving others and thinking about others is a burden to you, you're likely living as a slave rather than a son. How? Well, here's, here's, a, here's how you know. What if you miss your Bible? Let's say you're trying to read your Bible every day. What if you miss it on a given day? Okay? I missed my Bible reading yesterday. Okay? You should all know that. I'm not proud of it, but you should know that we all are sinners. All right? That shouldn't shock you. So what do you do when you miss your Bible reading that day? What if you get to the end of the day and you say, ooh, forgot to read today? Okay? Do you start having guilty thoughts and you think, oof well, I better make sure that I read two chapters tomorrow in order to, like, really make it up. And I think God will be pleased. God will know that if I really try tomorrow, then he won't be so angry with me. Like, surely I'll do better. Is your first thought now that you are guilty, forsaken, because you didn't do well enough? If that's true, then you're acting like a slave who forgot to do his duty. 
You're acting as if your works will make you acceptable to God, but they don't draw you closer to God. In fact, if that's your attitude, you'll likely not read the next day because you still feel guilty about the fact that you missed yesterday. And God must still be angry with you, and so I probably shouldn't pray. I probably shouldn't be reading because it shows that my heart's not in the right place, and I'm just guilty before God. But on the other hand, when you sin, when you fail, when you've given other thoughts that are less important, more of a priority in your heart that day, and you recognize how weak you are, and you recognize God still loves me even when I'm like such a sinner and I forget to think about him all the day, and you're thankful for his mercy and recognize that even with all of your sins, God still wants you to draw closer to him and not draw farther away. And you recognize how merciful God has been to you, not just yesterday and today, but throughout whole, your whole life. And you meditate on that and you remember that you are a son and not a slave. You've not been forsaken based on your acceptance, based on what you've done. Then guess what? If you think about it rightly, the next day you may want to read two chapters. Not because you should, not just simple duty, but just because you're amazed at the love that the Father has shown you. At the fact that your father shows you love based on your position with him through Christ, not because of what you can bring to him. All right, I'm not saying this is always easy. I'm not saying you're always going to think the right thing all the time. But remember that when you fail, when you sin, your standing as a son actually matters and it helps you to obey. You can obey joyfully. Secondly, if you're going to live as a son, you should be willing to call out to your father. Be willing to call out often. Don't act as a slave. A slave is fearful to come before God, before a master, because he's afraid of the consequences. But a son is glad to come before his father. I'm not saying that there isn't a level of fear that we shouldn't have before God, but we should still be willing to come before our Heavenly Father. It shouldn't keep us from actually drawing closer to him. And so come to the Father often. And if you're still wrestling through, all right, it's not about me knowing God, it's about does God know me? How can I know that God actually knows me? How can I have assurance that God has saved me? Look at verse 6 with me. Paul says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. How do you know that you're a child of God? God has given you His Spirit. And so if you struggle with assurance, ask God often to help you and give you that assurance. He's the one that will make that clear to you. Don't stop asking until God has helped you because he is a present help. He is a present help. It is a natural thing for children to call out to their father, right? You don't have to teach your kids to call for mom or for dad when they're scared at night. They know to do that because they know you'll come for them. You don't have to tell them how to do that. They just know. They cry out for help. So now you as a Christian, as a son, it should be natural for you to cry out to your father and ask for help and pray often. And the last application is don't act like a forever victim, okay? Don't act like a forever victim. What do I mean by that? The fact that you're a son should actually help you change how you view yourself and your circumstances and change how you see God treating you. The truth is, in this life, we will all suffer. You will suffer. Some of you are suffering right now. And it's really hard to not let your sufferings affect how you view God. 
But church, remember what is true. Your circumstances are not always everything that there is. God is not in heaven thinking of ways to punish you. He is not. God is not capricious or malicious. You will suffer. You are suffering. But even in your suffering, God is still kind to you as a father. And how do we know that? Sometimes we don't know that fully by experience, and that's hard. And you want to know that fully by experience, but you know that by faith in God's word. Live by faith. Your father is sustaining you. Just as a father who lets his son fall to learn to deal with pain, he will sustain you through the pain. Will you believe that? So now, you, now that you're a son, you can suffer well. You can suffer with hope, with faith. Because even in great affliction, you are secure in your father's arm. Who's a victim? A slave is a victim of his circumstances, right? A slave may not have had a choice. He may have been born into a family that was slaves. And so they're just slaves. They're a victim to their circumstances. But a son is not a victim. A son may suffer, but ultimately he is accepted and treated kindly by his father. So remember that in all of your afflictions today, your heavenly father, your all-knowing father, who has all foreknowledge, he knows them all. He knows every detail of your pain, even when no one else understands. Even when the person sitting next to you can't quite grasp how heavy it feels for you and for your family. Your father knows, and he cares. And not just that, he actually knows what you need and has the ability to give you what you need in the moment when you need it. So you don't have to despair as if you will suffer forever, right? We will not suffer forever. As a loving father, God has promised to see you through and to give you what's yours as a son, an everlasting inheritance beyond your imagination. In this world, you will suffer, but the suffering will end for God's children. Are you his? Are you his through Christ? So church, remember who you were before Christ. Before Christ, you were a slave. Remember that you're weak. You're prone to wonder that you still want to be a slave. But remember that God knows all of it, and he's ready to help you. He knows that you need him. And so all of this is possible because he knew you, he loved you, and now Christ has purchased your redemption and secured your adoption as sons. So live as sons. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you uh, that you have purchased our adoption. You have purchased our salvation. Lord, and this is not anything that we can do. And so, Father, I pray that we would not live as if it's something that we can do, that we would not live as slaves, that we would not return to the things that once enslaved us. The Father, that we would not observe festivals and days and seasons, that we would not observe things that make us right before you as if it comes from our own hearts, but rather that we would trust in you and that as sons that we would live and walk as if our acceptance is on Christ and on his finished work on the cross. And so, Father, this morning we exalt him. We exalt you, Jesus, and we give you thanks. May we as children live with love for you all of our days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.